We read about the martyrs for Christ in Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Welcome to Souls Under the Altar a program that reviews the stories of God's persecuted from the past and the present. Your host for this program is Etienne McClintock. By the time St John finished writing the book of Revelation, he was the only remaining apostle. All the other apostles had suffered persecution for Christ. Most of them died violent deaths for their faithfulness and love to God. They were witnesses to the physical resurrection of Christ and they were willing to die for their testimony. As has been pointed out by some, people will rarely endure torture and a painful death for something they know to be a lie. All those who preached the gospel and shared their eyewitness accounts of the crucified and risen Savior stood by their claims even when threatened with torture and death. Now, if it was a fabrication and merely a conspiracy among the disciples of Jesus, you would have expected that some, if not all of them, would have renounced this as a lie and saved their own lives. After all, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then neither would they be able to rise from the dead. All they then had was this life, with no hope of a glorious afterlife, with God and Christ and the other saints in glory. And I ask you, why would Peter, who actually denied his living Lord, be prepared to die for a dead Messiah whom he only claimed to have resurrected? And yet not only Peter, but also the rest of the apostles all stood unwavering for the truth in the face of threats, suffering, torture and death. Now in the book of Revelation, which was written by the apostle John, We read the words of Jesus to his church in chapter 2 and verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. The examples of the apostles and their fidelity to God in paying the ultimate price has left a lasting legacy of hope in tribulation and a calm assurance during persecution. Like the martyrs of the Old Testament, they have set the bar of commitment to God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ very high. They have left a wonderful example of faithfulness for succeeding generations. Now we read in Hebrews chapter 11 from verse 35 to 38 regarding those persecuted and martyred in the Old Testament. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword, They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. 
Today's program looks at why people oppose the message and the messengers of the gospel. We will review aspects of the story of Stephen, who is known as the first martyr of the Christian era. Acts chapter 6 and verse 5 tells us that Stephen was chosen as one of the seven deacons, that he was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 6 verse 8 re-emphasizes that Stephen was full of faith. But instead of repeating that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, the Word of God now tells us that he was filled with power. The term Holy Spirit is substituted with the word power. The connection between the Holy Spirit and power should not come as any surprise because this was introduced to us by Jesus in the opening chapter of Acts. There Jesus said to his disciples, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It is the Holy Spirit that gives power to the church. It is the Holy Spirit that gives power to the gospel. And it is the power of the Holy Spirit that brings conviction. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 tells us that the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation. Whenever the truth of the gospel is preached by Holy Spiritful people, the power of God is manifested. Preceding the statement that the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation, we have a supporting statement to the power of God by the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 1 verse 4, where we read that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power. Now through whom and how was this power manifested? We read in Romans chapter 1 verse 4 that this power which demonstrated the divinity of Jesus was manifested through the Holy Spirit, or as it says, through the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The power of the Holy Spirit is the power of God. It is resurrection power. The power of the gospel that gives life to dead inanimate things is in the same way manifested in the gospel of Christ, which gives life to those who are dead in trespasses and sins. In other words, the gospel gives spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. Now we read in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then the first part of verse 6, and raised us up together. So when Christ died, we actually died with him. And when he was raised, we were raised with him. And we were raised up to sit together with him in heavenly places. And we can sit there now by faith in the word of God. It is the power of God that raises the dead, and it is exactly the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It is obvious that before a person can be resurrected, that person has to have died first. The physically living can't be and don't need to be physically raised from the dead. Death precedes every resurrection. And in the context of salvation, the gift of eternal life, the death of Jesus on the cross is central to the manifestation of the power of God in the resurrection. 
It is clear from the Bible that the resurrection of Jesus demonstrates God's power, as we read in Romans chapter 1. Equally also, the Bible tells us that the message of the cross is also the power of God. This fascinating statement is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, and we read, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is indeed a powerful thing that God could save the whole world through one execution. The fact that the whole world would be executed in one man is the greatest of miracles and one that could only be accomplished by the divine power of God that we cannot even begin to comprehend. Now please note that 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says that this power is reserved for those who are being saved. In other words, it is only for those who have received salvation in Christ Jesus by faith. So both the cross and the resurrection of Christ demonstrates the power of God. In spite of the gospel teaching that the cross is the power of God and that the cross of Christ is the only means of salvation, there are many who find the preaching of the cross offensive. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 that Paul states most categorically that we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Now why is it foolishness to the Greeks? Because they seek the elevation of enlightenment or wisdom rather than the abasement and self-denial that the cross requires. Why is it a stumbling block to the Jews? Because they seek spectacular proof through signs and miracles rather than the scandal and humiliation associated with the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, it tells us, For the Jews request a sign or a miracle, and the Greeks seek after wisdom or enlightenment. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Now the word stumbling block comes from two Greek words. The one is scandalon, which means scandal or a thing that offends, and is preceded by the Greek word men, which is used to intensify the meaning of the word scandalon. So men scandalon simply means that it is an intense thing that offends or a great scandal. For the Jews being hung on a tree meant that you were cursed by God, as stated in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. And being naked in public was not only offensive, but also a great embarrassment to the person thus exposed. The cross cursed the victim and at the same time also shamed and embarrassed its victim because they were stripped naked. The Greeks found the preaching of the cross foolishness. The Greek word for foolishness is moria, which also means silliness or an absurdity. The Greek worldview did not allow them to see the wisdom of God through the humility of the cross of Christ. To them, this was a crude and unsophisticated way that surely could not lead to wisdom and enlightenment. Now, it is clearly stated that whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, 
sinful men would rather some other method of salvation for themselves than having to walk in the Savior's footsteps and also take up their cross to follow him. Even before Jesus went to the cross, he had already stated to his followers in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, in a parable verse about taking up our cross, we read in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 38, where Jesus says, He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Now, to our minds, this makes more sense than to the Jewish mind back in that day. We know that Jesus died on the cross. But at that time, Jesus had not yet gone to the cross when he spoke about every disciple having to take up his cross. Even his closest disciples could not imagine such a thing. Their lack of understanding is demonstrated in the Gospel of Luke, where we read in chapter 18 from verse 31 to 34, where Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. And they will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But they, that is the disciples, understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not know the things which were spoken. Jesus stated what was going to happen to him was exactly as was predicted in the Old Testament prophecies. He would be insulted, he would be mocked, he would be spat upon, he would be scourged, and he would be martyred. But praise God, he would rise again the third day. The popular belief concerning the Messiah was a major obstacle to them understanding the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. The death of the Messiah was so foreign to the Jewish interpretation of the prophecies that they could not understand it. To the Jewish mind, it was a nonsense that the Messiah was going to be killed. As far as they were concerned, the Messiah was going to live forever and come to restore the kingdom of David as an everlasting kingdom. Now we see this in the following exchange between Jesus and the Jews as recorded in John chapter 12, reading from verse 32 to verse 34. Jesus said to them, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ, which is the Greek word for the Messiah, remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? To imply that the Messiah would die through a scandalous and humiliating cruel death like that of crucifixion would have been an absolute absurdity to the Jewish mind. However, Jesus was teaching them giving them the right prophetic interpretation and preparing them for his death by crucifixion. It is important to note that a wrong interpretation of prophecy when corrected by giving the right interpretation will cause some sort of reaction. 
Those who accept it will receive a greater measure of the Spirit and be sanctified by the truth. However, the opposite is also true. Those who reject it will become hostile, and this hostility will even lead them to persecute those who believe. Now, in the kingdom of God, humility precedes greatness. It is those who choose to humble themselves in the sight of the Lord that are lifted up by God, as James chapter 4, verse 10 states so clearly. Jesus made a clear distinction between the way the world exercises authority and ascends to greatness versus the way the true greatness is achieved in the kingdom of God. Jesus explained these principles in Matthew chapter 24 from verse 25 to 28. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now this principle of the kingdom, of denying self, of crucifying self, is one of the reasons Jesus was rejected. This is clearly stated in the book on the life of Jesus called The Desire of Ages. And on page 56 verse 5 we read, We must all fall upon the rock and be broken before we can be uplifted in Christ. Self must be the throne. Pride must be humbled if we would know the glory of the spiritual kingdom. The Jews would not accept the honor that is reached through humiliation. Therefore, they could not receive their Redeemer. So the Redeemer of the world was rejected by many for this reason. And by these same people who rejected the principles of the kingdom of heaven, he was persecuted and finally martyred. Those who follow in the footsteps of Jesus, those who preach the gospel as the only means of salvation, those who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus, will also experience rejection and suffer persecution. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 says, Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The only way that we can ever live godly lives is by taking up our cross daily, living by faith in the righteousness of Christ and having Christ dwell in us through the Holy Spirit. It is the righteousness of Christ through the power of the indwelling Spirit that gives power to our witness for Jesus. It is the power of the Holy Spirit working through the words and deeds of Jesus' faithful followers that gives power to their testimony. It is the Holy Spirit that supplies the power of conviction to the person hearing the truth of the Word of God. It is the presence of this power that excites a response and excites opposition from wicked men and wicked angels. It is their allegiance to another power referred to in the Bible as principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places as recorded in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 
that causes them to rise up in opposition to God and his witnesses. A form of godliness without the power of the Holy Spirit is not a threat to the kingdom of darkness. It is also not a threat to worldly-minded people. Preach the cross and raise the standard high. Preach it in the power of the Holy Spirit, and all will be drawn to Jesus, as he said in John chapter 12, verse 32, which we just read earlier. However, some will resist the drawing power of the Holy Spirit. This resistance will manifest itself in a variety of forms, including persecution. Stephen, by the infilling of the Holy Spirit, was able to do great wonders and signs amongst the people. He was a powerful teacher and preacher. When God moves on the hearts of men and they resist the Holy Spirit, these people were resisted in their hearts and mind, and as a result, they will rise up to oppose the gospel. We read about this in Acts chapter 6 from verse 9 through to 15. It says, Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Sicilia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. Why did these men start arguing with Stephen? Verse 10 tells us, And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. These people were unable to resist the truth of the gospel because it was presented in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what do people typically do when they cannot defend their theological positions nor resist its power? We read in Acts chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him, that is Stephen, speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They attacked him. The Bible said they used inducements to get people to tell lies about Stephen and his doctrine. Verse 13 elaborates on this approach further. And it says they set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. These charges were false, even ludicrous. Those who couldn't refute his argument or silence him by threats drummed up false accusations. Stephen took control of the room with his voice, unexpectedly holding his audience spellbound. His words resonated with the kind of passion that flows from a simple man who has grasped a great idea or has been grasped by a vision larger than himself. He told that old familiar story once again, highlighting parts of it that had been curiously overlooked or even forgotten over the years. He traced God's amazing ways down through the centuries until, like the weaver's final pass of threads in a seamless garment, Stephen confronted his audience with the truth about their condition. The crowd had gathered to judge Stephen, but history and truth passed judgment on them. They rose in rejection of the truth and they killed the messenger. Stephen must have seen the murder in their eyes, but he saw something much better when he looked up 
And he said, I see heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, as recorded in Acts chapter 7 and verse 56. The mob had dragged Stephen out of the city, had begun to stone him. He did not expect to escape and asked God to receive his spirit. Then with his last breath he prayed, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Acts chapter 7 and verse 60. Luke, the writer of this account, was not present at Stephen's martyrdom, but he knew well a man who had been there. That man would have remembered details like the last words Stephen uttered. That man was the Apostle Paul, at that time known as Saul, a fierce persecutor of Jesus' followers. And Saul did not know that he would at an appointment on the road to Damascus with the same Jesus whom Stephen had seen just before he died have an encounter and he would have a life-changing experience be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and he would go out and witness for Christ being persecuted and finally also martyred for his faith. Why? Because when people come under conviction under the power of the Holy Spirit, they struggle to resist that power. The more powerful the conviction of the Spirit, the more powerful the opposition unless they make a full surrender to the Lord and follow the promptings and the leadings and the pleadings of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible tells us that God loves us. He's loved us with an everlasting love. With loving kindness, He draws us through the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. But people will rise up against it like they did against Jesus Christ, like they did against Stephen, who was a faithful witness for Jesus and lost his life hoping for a better resurrection. Dear listener, thank you for joining me today on Souls Under the Altar. We look forward to catching up with you next time. Until then, God be with you. Thank you for joining us on Souls Under the Altar. If you'd like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. 